I want the listeners to think about it slightly differently and think about their businesses as an essential service. Because too often we end up becoming wrapped up in either what we do as a business or our job title. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Phil Palucha. Did I say your name right? I didn't ask you ahead of time. You did say my name right. I love that you said my name right. So many people get that wrong. Well done. All right. I know usually I ask in the green room kind of in advance, but I forgot this time. (laughs) So we're talking about World 2.0, and World 2.0 is what's going to happen after the coronavirus shakedown. So this is actually going to be my 13th episode in three weeks, talking with experts about what's happening now, how to survive coronavirus. But this one is probably the first one where we talk about what's going to happen after. For sure. And I think it's super interesting. We're talking a little bit in advance. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Phil Paluccia. I'm the host of Billionaires in Boxes TV. Billionaires in Boxes is a spinoff of a recruitment business and a media business that I own. We work globally and remotely and we have done for 10 years. As part of our service, we help businesses to prepare for that kind of global working and remote working. So as you can imagine, that's quite relevant at the moment (laughs) because everybody's been forced into working remotely, even the people that really didn't want to. Right. And uh, yeah, so we created the, the, it was a podcast originally, and then it turned into a TV show that's just aired across Africa and globally online. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a plug later. But uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's essentially about helping people to realize that they can do whatever they want from wherever they want. They just need to shift their mindset because as we said earlier, this is going to be world 2.0. The world is never going to be the same. If you just look throughout history, Every major tragedy and event has always been the shift for a massive technological advancement every single time throughout history. This won't be any different. Right. And I was actually listening to Seth Godin's Kimbo podcast the other day, and he was talking about how the capitalist system itself, every time somebody comes up with a new way to generate money, more money from capital, it kind of destroys the previous system, right? Yeah. So you're... Airbnb, you know, can it can mix up the hotel industry and, you know, just like people always use the example of taxi cabs and Uber yeah, and Lyft and and even like Instacart groceries, right? Getting grocery delivered to your house and imperfect produce we have in the United States and, you know, these delivery places. It's all something where something else got got squeezed out, you know, or at least modified. Well, look at Blockbuster as a great example. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they were so slow on the uptake with all the online stuff that they just got left behind. I mean, I, I find it fascinating. I can't remember what the figure was, but it was something ridiculously low. Like they were offered Netflix for $10 million or something. Actually, what I heard was $75 million and Netflix already had more revenue than that. Look at that. I mean, how ridiculous. But, but, but the thing is, life is full of those decisions. In every situation, there's winners and losers. And unfortunately, Blockbuster lost on that occasion. Well, another good example is, and and the same thing that happened with Blockbuster happened with Kodak. Yes. Is they made so much money and their core business was in film. And for every piece of film, they they spent a dollar on a piece of film, 95% or something of that was profit, right? They made so much money on it. And they were like, why am I going to get into digital cameras at 5% margin? Yeah, exactly. And they had, I mean, they invented the digital camera. It's crazy, huh? Blockbuster already had the people in their stores. They could have just been saying, hey, how about we ship these to your house? Exactly. And they already had stores everywhere. They wouldn't need warehouses. They wouldn't need the mail. They already got everything in hand in store. They could have done it easily. Well, in fact, they could have saved themselves a fortune, couldn't they? Because they could have done like a, a scale over the pace of sort of 12 to 18 months where you convert every customer that comes into a store into a home delivery customer. And then you can close down your real estate and make all your money back off selling that. And they could have stuck a server closet in one store out of every location and had delivery locally, right? Exactly. Where were we on that decision, hey? I know. History could have been different. Honestly, uh, the last Blockbuster in Alaska I heard closed like a year ago. Oh, really? It was like the last one. It was the holdout. Since when were they getting new releases, though? (laughs) (laughs) Is this like the old stock? All the films are like 10 years old? So funny story about that. There's this guy that I know. He's like a relative of someone I know. And uh, he worked for Microsoft, too. Okay, cool. So, I mean, he was in the technology world, 
but every time a movie would come out, he would buy like five copies of it because he was going to open like his retirement. He was going to go like open like a video store in like a campground or some shit like that. So he had all like, his house is just packed with movies, right? He got VHS and DVD everywhere. Mm. And this was in like 2004, 2005 kind of thing. I mean, this digital delivery of movies was already happening. Yeah. This guy did not see the writing on the wall and he worked mm-hmm. for a tech company and all that stuff is worthless now. Also, I'm pretty sure he didn't understand that there's different licensing for copies that you sell at rental companies. But yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, that, that yeah, <laughs> you're not really just going to. I mean, yeah, sometimes people just they don't see they don't see the writing on the wall. Right. So not only was it a poor business decision, it was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And illegal. So, yeah. Happy retirement fund. Yeah. So what is the writing on the wall for World 2.0 that people are not seeing yet? I don't think people have quite realized the digital revolution that is already happening and is that is going to happen from this. So my recruitment business, for example, works a lot in the tech space and we do a lot with AI and big data. And there is a global skill shortage of around 40 to 45 percent of data scientists. We don't have enough already. And these are the guys who are understanding the data that's going into the algorithms for machine learning. I mean, that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand about any form of artificial intelligence is that it's only as good as the data that you put into it. If you put rubbish data into it, you're going to get garbage out and it's not going to be relevant to anybody. So the way businesses do business is going to change because people will now be far more cautious. I mean, I'm already speaking with a lot of different CEOs at at all kinds of level, right? From startups all the way through to major banks. You know, I'm doing some consultancy work with one of the African banks and everybody's concern is that they don't want to take risks. So the most risk averse policy you can take is to plow all your data into a very clever algorithm and allow it to run test scenarios for you and tell you what's going to happen and what you should do. But that means that businesses now need to start treating their data very differently and capturing data very differently, which trickles all the way down to training new starters and existing people differently because they're going to need to use the system properly. I've seen the data that most corporations have. <laughs> it's terrifying. In my work as an IT and I information systems contractor for a few years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is terrifying. It kind of reminds me of the, the experiment where the people were trying to train the AI system or the deep learning system to identify photos of dogs. And I think it was like it couldn't tell the difference between a chihuahua and a pizza. But every other dog it was good at, you know, and I don't know why it was. It was something that happened with the data. It's just these weird things that happen, right? Yeah. I mean, look, there's some incredible things that come out of it. Oh, yeah. There's loads of conservation work that's happening with it. We're we're learning things about the ocean that we didn't know before. We're learning things about energy consumption, which makes us more efficient as, as as a globe, which obviously has a massive impact on global warming and all that kind of stuff. So what it can do is incredible. But, you know, a workman's only as good as his tools. You can give a world-class chef, you know, I don't want to swear, but like a pile of crap on the table. He's not going to produce your world-class meal. That's right. That's that's the situation. So you have to take care of your data. And I think the other thing that people haven't quite realized is we no longer live in the industrial revolution. I think people need to realize that. The whole industrial mindset of all the jobs are in the city, so we're going to up sticks and move there and we're going to do all our education and we're going to go there and we're going to get a job title and we're going to get promoted and we're going to climb the corporate ladder and blah, 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 blah. The the life that our parents lived and, and probably our grandparents before that doesn't exist for us anymore. I think those those 40-year careers in one company where the, the owner knows you by name and takes care of you, I think those days are gone, if I'm honest. I think it now we now go to I often word it like this. We go from a time-based currency to a solution-based currency. So it's no longer about needing to clock into an office nine to five. It's about the results that you produce. So if you want to drop your kids off at school or go see your personal trainer at lunchtime or take a nap in the middle of the day, that's now okay, provided the work is still done to a good standard. As long as you're still getting all the work done. Absolutely. And I think that's where, where a lot of people need to realize that now is that if you're still thinking about trading time for money, you need to rethink your approach. Yeah, I 100% agree. I've been kind of living in, in that economy for a really long time. Our, our agency has been 100% remote for six years now. You know, uh, before that, my company was remote anyway. I was working as an IT person in marketing groups at some big companies, but I still worked at home at least, you know, for days a week out of five kind of thing. Yep. Uh, in some cases, a hundred percent at home 
my last contract I had, I worked at Intel. My boss was in Germany and I only met her once in the year that I worked there, you know, in person, you know. I have partners who've probably spent thirty, forty thousand dollars with us in the last twelve months that I've never seen face to face. I have a relationship with them entirely online, because as much as I, I look forward to meeting them when I do, it's not essential for the business that we do. They don't need to see me. They don't need to see my team to, for these things to happen. Results are results, and they speak for themselves. But I hope that people kind of take lessons from this as well, because it's incredible to see the shift and you can see it on things like social media. If you go onto Twitter and just scroll down a timeline and look at the last messages for the last hour, you can see the people that are out grinding, grafting, you know, they're, they're putting in maximum effort. They're trying to make sure that they're ready for world 2.0. And you can see the people that are saying, I've watched everything on Netflix. What else can I watch? Yeah, I think that's hundred percent true. And, and when you think about that, if you, if you think, there has never been a better time for you to press the reset button because the world has just pressed the reset button. Never before has there been something like this hit the world where we've all been quarantined at the same time. We're all experiencing the same thing. I mean, I'm a multicultural guy anyway. I'm in a mixed relationship. I have mixed children. I, I love working across Africa. So I'm, I'm a very cultural guy anyway. But the idea of racism now just baffles me even further. It's like, how can people still have racial hatred towards people when we're all experiencing the same thing? I mean, if this hasn't showed you that it doesn't matter what side of the planet on or what color your skin is, we're all dealing with the same stuff, then there's no hope for you. Yeah, well, it's very apparent in some of the rhetoric in the United States, you can see, obviously. So there's still problems. It's such a shame. Yeah, I know it's a shame, but... I mean, it is what it is, right? There's a guy who wrote his name. I cannot just keep this guy's name in my brain for some reason, but he wrote, it was basically the laws of stupidity. Okay. And there's a percentage of the population at across all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, all kinds of, you know, no matter how rich or poor they are or status or anything, there's always a percentage of idiots. It's just always going to be that way. And that's part of the laws of stupid. And once you read them all, you're like, yeah, yeah that seems true. I work in broadcasting. So I know it's going to sound like a strange thing to say, but I really don't like the way that a lot of stereotypes are the main thing that are broadcast from different nations. So I don't recognize the England and the UK that is portrayed on TV. I've lived here most of my life and I'm still yet to see the place that's on TV. We don't all talk like Colin Firth. I don't know the queen. Right. Uh, in fact, if anything, I, I, I'm not particularly a fan of the monarch. So um, I'm definitely don't fit into that camp. I have a weird theory about that whole thing anyway. And, and that is if you actually genetic tested all the way back, you would find out that the people who are supposedly the king and queen now are not the same people who were before. It's been done. Oh, please. I will send you the link and I want you to share it with your listeners because it was done on a documentary a few years ago. It was genuinely done. It was called The Real King of England. And it oh, turns okay. out that the guy who actually has the bloodline that should be on the throne lives in like some, uh, I don't know the nice way of putting it, like a redneck trailer park in Australia with his family. <laughs> and the current royal family are actually German blood. There was nothing to do with this at all. And they had somehow usurped somewhere along the way. Well, some of the royal family were actually, because of the, the German heritage, some of the royal and Greek heritage, some of the royal family were actually Nazis at the early part of World War II. And then that kind of got, some of them went over and some of them got pushed aside and our history books in, in school. Oh, no, we can't mention him anymore. Black market. <laughs> That's right. So that guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're almost there with Prince Andrew at the moment, as I'm sure you've seen with all the uh, Epstein stuff that's going on. He's, I think he's kind of glad for coronavirus, if I'm honest. I think he, it's it's the one thing that's got him out of the news. Switch the news. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, I'm originally from Canada. So, you know, I used to get a lot of stuff from like, we used to have BBC One and Two and stuff like that in Canada when I lived there. And so we get a lot of stuff like that. But in the United States, not so much. I mean, you don't hear that much about anything here. From the UK, you get a little bit of stuff about the government. And that's about it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's not good. They don't represent us either. I don't really watch any news anyway. <laughs> No. You know, I might watch an hour of TV a day tops. And that hour is generally like I have a favorite show. It's on YouTube, you know, <laughs> and like, like, I just don't I'm not a traditional media person in any way. I don't watch any sports or anything anymore. We're in a bit of a weird position at the moment in this country, because obviously outside coronavirus in general, because we just left 
the EU. We just had Brexit, which was a train crash of its own, but we just left the EU and then this happened and there's been all kinds of stuff and it's just really up in the air. And what I think is really interesting, I won't go too political, but what I think is really interesting about politics in the UK at the moment is we have Boris Johnson, who's in, who's the prime minister. He's in charge of our conservative party. Now, if I'm honest, I'd have to say they're probably quite similar to your Republican party. Tax cuts for the rich. Um, <laughs> you know, let's not care about the poor. I mean, they're, they're getting better. I have to be honest, especially with the NHS. They have been good with that over, over the last few weeks and months. So credit where it's due. But the opposite of their party, so the, the, the opposition of the House, if you will, are what's known as our Labour Party. And the Labour Party are a socialist party, but we've just appointed a knight of the realm to head up the socialist party, which makes no sense. So there is now a Sir, whatever his name is, in charge of the socialist party, which seems counterproductive. It's like contradictory. That's like having a man in charge of a feminist program. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Like... <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> they, the two things don't seem to fit together very well. No, I think also there's been. I mean, political wise, we usually try to avoid talking about politics and business. That's kind of our thing, but it seems to be coming up more and more often because you can't avoid it really in some of these cases. No, you can't, especially when you're working globally. You know, when you're working globally, it, it is a big part of, of people's decisions. It's a big part of, of different people's lives and different people are having to go through different things. So I agree. Look, I try not to sort of sit anywhere on one particular issue. I, I, I'm a bit of a fence sitter, if I'm honest, because it's, it's, it's wise to do that. But there are certain decisions that happen that if I'm honest, I'm, I've got a bit of a fiery character and I see it and go, I don't like that. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, like if it's if it's part of your personal brand kind of thing, I guess, or your personality, right? Exactly. It's fine to do that. Or if, you know, like there's nothing wrong with a company that sells per church pews talking about religion, right? I mean, it's, it's fine. Nope. 100%. 100%. When you're talking about business and you've got like in the United States, they have the Paycheck Protection Program and the Small Business Administration Disaster Loan Program. And then there's community grants and county grants and city grants and grant programs for other companies and all this stuff going on. All of it is coming through political channels. Also, whether your business can be open is political right now, right? Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything that, that involves our life right now is political because we, we are waiting for, for the politicians to tell us what we can and can't do and when it's safe to go outside. And I mean, I think this is probably the most political business situation we've ever worked in because, I mean, outside having a, you know, sort of a martial state, when would the government ever tell you when your business could and couldn't be open? Yeah, no kidding. And in the United States, I mean, from a federal level, it's still so political that it's basically pointless to listen to anything they say anyway. So you should just get the information from the department. You know, like if it's about small business loans, go to the Small Business Administration. Don't listen to what they're saying on the news, right? It's it's 90% of the time it's not even correct anyway. 100%. And local, like your city, county, district, municipality, state, depends where you live, right? They are going to have the information that you need about your business locally and they can tell you who's allowed to open, who's considered an essential business or essential workers, yep. how much work from home, do you have to have social distancing, do you need to wear masks, all this kind of stuff. I was talking to somebody the other day, and until coronavirus hit, they had no idea who the mayor of our city was. <laughs> I like that. Right, it's just because it's just not important to them at the time. No. But now, this is the person who decides if your company gets a grant or not. So. Pretty important, I think. So now you care. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, right. now, now it's, now it's a, you have to know who it is. I mean, look, you just said some important words there. I was talking about them on one of our shows the other day, actually, and it was about being an essential service because we've heard those phrases now. I mean, other than the word unprecedented, I think essential service is probably the, the words that I've heard the most during this entire crisis. And you need to put a different, slightly different spin on this because when we think about essential services, we think about medical, we think about, you know, fire, emergency services, you know, we think about the people that are out there on the front line. I want the listeners to think about it slightly differently and think about their businesses as an essential service because too often we end up becoming wrapped up in either what we do as a business or our job title. And what we have to do is we have to unpack all of those things because it doesn't matter that you're a software developer. 
No one cares. There's loads of software developers. What we need is a solution from you. So are you a software developer that deals with the front end? Do you do the coding? Are you the user-faced guy? Do you do all the testing afterwards? Are you the strength test guy? Do you do the cybersecurity at the end with the DevSecOps? What are you? What solution do you provide? And that's what you market. You don't market yourself either for a job or for clients as what you are because there's thousands of what you are. So why would they choose you? You you have to provide the solution and you have to provide the credibility to say, this is who I am. I understand that in working in this industry, you're probably experiencing this pain and this pain. Here's some solutions that I've done for clients. I'd love to have a chat with you. And you'd be surprised how many people will go, actually, that's the problem I'm having. So yeah, that makes perfect sense to have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You want to, you want to sell the solution, right? A hundred percent. Also, um, I mean, the same thing kind of happens in, in our industry, right? We help people with local search uh, a lot for local businesses, right? Or, I mean, it doesn't have to be local, but SEO related. That search optimization, a lot of times what you say is the difference because what people do now is let's make up a problem. Okay, so let's say there's something wrong with the electrical in my house and I, I need to find an electrician. So type in electrician in the internet or I say it into my phone. I go, Hey, so oh, I better not say that word or my phone's going to go off. <laughs> I say, Hey, I need an electrician. Right. Yeah. And then it gives you a list of like an endless list of electricians. Right. It does basically sorted by distance and mixed in with some national chains. So what do you do? You click the first one, you look at it and then you go, eh, that looks reasonable, right? But I should check another one. So you click out and you click the next one. You go, this looks pretty much exactly the same. It's a different guy standing in front of a different logo on a truck. Same thing. At that point, you just start calling people until someone answers the phone. A hundred percent. It's as simple as that. The only other way that people do it is they go on Facebook or something and they go, hey, does anybody know any electricians? Recommendations. Exactly. Right. And they look for a recommendation. So if you're making sure that you are easily recommendable, you have, you know, good reviews and stuff that people can follow up on and that you have something different about that solution, like you were saying, on either your website or your search listing. I got a really good example, actually. Mm. Somebody's a massage therapist. So everybody says Bob Smith, LMT, Susie Nelson, LMT. And this guy said, we do massage 2.0. Have you tried the new version of massage yet? Love it. That's it. He does the same fucking thing as everybody else does. Right? It's just, you know, come in and get a new, the new kind of massage. 100%. I love that. It's about being different. So I think the only other, it's weird because, I mean, it's not really an alternative, but I was going to say the only other alternative you could have to SEO, in my opinion, or good SEO, is lots of content that gets found. But the, the irony is good content can help drive fantastic SEO. Yeah, it's good for SEO anyway. So it's, 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 it's feeding your own cycle, which is, which is fantastic. So I'm a big advocate of content and there are so many platforms out there these days that there is no excuse. You don't want to be on camera, fine, do a podcast. You know, you don't want to speak, do a blog. Uh, you know, don't want to do something long, do a TikTok. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no excuse. Uh, the, the, there's so many different platforms out there and so many different people who can teach you how to do this stuff that, for me, content is king. I know everybody says it, but genuinely, as somebody who has fueled my service-based businesses, I'm imploring you to to get out there and create some content. And the joy of that content is that it opens doors for you as well. I'll give you a tip that was given on one of our shows recently. It was by one of our experts in the UK, and it was a website I'd never heard of before. It's called Also Asked. Now, I appreciate that's going to be my accent. So asked, asked, A-S-K, ed also asked.com now he was recommended to this by someone at google okay so what what they'd said is look originally google used to be about matching keywords so you type in a phrase and it would show you the most relevant keywords but now the vast majority of people use google to ask questions they, they ask google a question so if you think about it matching keywords isn't going to do you any favors because all it's going to do now is show you a list of other people asking the same questions that may or may not have had an answer Instead, what Google's now got its algorithms doing is, is recognizing quality answers instead. You'll have noticed over the last year to two years that most of these sites where people can have answers, you can now grade an answer up or down with a thumb. There's a reason that's there. It's so that Google and other search engines know which answers to prioritize when you do it. So the reason I mention also asked is, provided you know what industry you work in or you know who your ideal customer is, this thing is going to light up like a Christmas tree. 
because you can type in them, you can type in their kind of audience or their key demographics or their job titles or whatever it is. And what this is going to do is it's going to show you the most commonly asked questions in a flowchart. And each one's probably going to give you, I don't know, 20 to 30 answers. Okay. Each of those is 20 to 30 pieces of content that you could do. You could do a piece of content just answering the most asked questions by your potential customers. And if you just did 32 minute videos and put them online, how many times are your potential customers going to see you? You start sharing them out across social media, across LinkedIn, having connected with these people as well. I mean, they talk about you needing numerous touch points before somebody sells, but I don't think people remember that they can use digital footprints for that as well. Yeah, this is, I typed it in while you were talking. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? It's fabulous. Yeah. It's such a cool tool, honestly. Yeah, I know you can't see my screen, but so it's, it's also asked.com. I just typed in SEO and it gives you a list. What is SEO in marketing? And then that splits off to why is SEO so expensive or is SEO free? <laughs> and then why is SEO so expensive goes to, can you pay Google for SEO? How much is SEO per month? Are SEO companies worth it? And then, so each of them kind of splits in into the smaller and smaller questions. But if you did a piece of content, a two, three minute recorded piece on each of those things and put them out as videos, put them on your website, make sure they're, they're tagged up with the right keywords and meta tags. If you don't know how to do that, there's people on Fiverr and Upwork that will do that for you for a very cheap amount of money. Yeah, you can get YouTube certified. Just go look on YouTube. Get some stuff out there, you know, just do it. I mean, a hundred percent, just do it. There's no excuse. You're sat at home right now. Don't think, well, when the kids are back in school, I'll have more time. No, I'm calling bullshit on that. That's the excuse you're giving yourself. Do it now. Absolutely. I actually, I'm really surprised at the amount of people who are pushing out stuff right now saying on social media and stuff going, you know what? You don't have to be out hustling or trying to do something right now. It's okay to just sit at home and eat cake every day or whatever, right? Of course it is. I don't think that's okay. No, I don't think it's okay either. This is like the biggest shakeup in the business world in our generation. And if you want to be employed, right, or at least even doing adequately well, let alone trying to like build something that's really going to have some growth or some potential to it, you better be on it right now, right? I mean, time to get your shit together. Well, the way, the way I see it is we are all together at Mount Everest Base Camp, okay? It's going to be a race to the top and everybody's racing. So you got to get a spot because if you don't get up there fast, there's going to be no spots left. That's true. Some people are packing oxygen and listening to their Sherpa. Other people are binge watching Netflix and watching Grey's Anatomy you know, which ones are going to survive and which ones are going to really wish that they'd pulled their finger out their backside and done something about it right now. And, and I just, it makes me sad a little bit when, when, when I see stuff like that, because we already know from science that every action has a reaction. So take a positive action and there will be a positive reaction. It's not, it's, this is not difficult. It's, 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 it's basic science. So sitting there on your backside, putting no effort in, guess what you're going to get back out? Yeah. And you know what? This is not difficult to do because say you do have extra time right now, right? Maybe your business is slow or for whatever reason, you've got that extra time right now. Now you've got number one, you have time to think, Yep. which everybody complains that they couldn't work on their business before because they didn't have any time. Now you got time and you're not working on your business. Like shut the fuck up. That's just a cop out, right? hundred percent. You've got time to think about it. And I was actually talking about this on a live stream the other day. You should be writing down what are all the things you think are going to happen because of this and how is it going to affect your business and how can you change how you deliver marketing or solutions for your business to your customers. So you just get a whiteboard, get get some notebook paper, whatever, write down. People are going to work at home more. Yes. Because people are going to work at home more, less people are going to go out for lunch. People aren't going to drive as much. People aren't listening to the radio as often. All of the things that happened because of those, make your own chart and then circle anything you think has anything to do with your business. And now you've got a framework that you can say, how do I need to modify or pivot my business or how I deliver my services or how do you even even how you sell your services, right? 100%. Well, I, I founded something called the Remote Working Revolution that talks very much about this. And, I, and I, as I said, I've been running my business. So there's 18 of us in total and we all work remotely. I'm the only one in the UK. 
Um, and I love that fact because we work with lots of different religions, lots of different cultures, lots of different countries. Great. Absolutely love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. And I've constantly been helping sort of businesses over the last, I'd say five years in particular to kind of prepare for remote working. And, and those businesses, I'm pleased to say, are doing very well right now because they knew how to handle this. It's the ones that were very sort of, you know, I hear this one a lot. So I'll give an example. It's much easier to manage face-to-face than it is to manage remotely. Is it? No, it's not. That's a lie. That's a lie. And I'll tell you why it's a lie. Because managing somebody on a time-based currency is a pain in the backside because you have to kick them in the nuts if they're five minutes late. If they take too long on their lunch, you have to go nuts. You know, because you have to set a good example because if anybody else sees them slacking, then they're going to do it too. That's a nightmare of a management job. Going to a solution-based currency where people feel more respected, they love the fact they can go and spend time in the middle of the day with their family. I mean, that is my single favorite thing to do. We have a big trampoline in the back garden. I have two young daughters. It's just getting warmer here now. I love the fact that I can just stop in the middle of the day and just go on the trampoline with my daughters for a bit. That is my single favorite thing about working remotely. And the fact that we can do it from wherever we want. We can go and see our family in South Africa. So I know people who have relatives in other countries and they see them once every few years, maybe at a special event, a christening, a wedding. If we see these guys for less than four or five months a year, we feel like we're not seeing them enough. We will follow the sun and and go down to Cape Town and spend time with them. And And I absolutely love that life. But uh, without trying to do myself a disservice, I'm nothing special. I didn't come from anything special. I came from a, a single parent family on benefits. You know, by the age of 14, I'd slept on the streets for several months. That you didn't grow up with like technology no. all around you all the time. So you could learn this crazy remote life. No, nope. nope. in fact, if anything, it was the fact that I didn't have any of that that made me want to go looking for it because. I so dislike the environment that I grew up in that I was, I was just desperate for something else. So my attitude was, there's got to be another way of doing this. There has to be like, I don't want to be strapped to an office for the rest of my life. So I did the whole corporate thing. I climbed the corporate ladder. I got to board level. I was really proud to be board level within my mid twenties in my first level position. And I was, you know, I was very proud of that, but I, I always hated the corporate world. I always hated the suit. I hated the tie. I didn't like the rules for the sake of rules. It reminded me too much of school and I didn't like school. My favorite educational time was when I went to university. And the reason it was because of that was they didn't teach you like school. They would walk into a classroom and they'd write stuff down. And if you weren't listening, that's on you. They get paid at the end of the week anyway. And then they leave. And you realize that when you engage with your your lecturers and you have good relationships with your professors, you learn much more because they're a wealth and a fountain of knowledge and they'll open up far more with you in conversation. You couldn't have that kind of relationship with a teacher in my school. You know, you try walking up to somebody, you'd have been asked why you're out your seat and reprimanded in front of everybody and sent back down. So it was a very different environment and people learn in very different ways. So I always go back to if I can do it, anybody can do this. And that's why we have the show. That's why we show the behind the scenes workings of both the recruitment business, which is a retained search firm in tech and construction and the media business that helps get people media exposure. It helps businesses to create podcasts so that they can understand how to spread their message, all that juicy stuff. And the reason we do that is because I've lived it, I've done it. And the the reason I know the right route is because I chose every wrong option. I've made all those mistakes for you. So do yourself a favor and don't make them. (laughs) That's true. So I know we're kind of getting a little bit over time here if you still have a couple more minutes. Mm, Sure. So why don't you talk a little bit about what it's like doing work in so for businesses and and communities in in South Africa and other parts of Africa? Is it is it mostly English speaking still or is there language barriers or translation stuff like how does that all work? Uh, no. So for, I mean, look, there's lots of different la- languages across Africa. I think South Africa alone has f- something like 14 recognized languages nationally, but English is, is spoken by, I'd say that the high 90%. I don't speak any other languages rather embarrassingly. People do try and teach me, but I, I don't have a memory for languages. Unfortunately, I really wish I did. I'm waiting for the time that Elon designs the AI chip. I can just plug in and start speaking Spanish. Rather than learn it, that's how lazy I am. I'm going to wait for someone to design the technology first. I had to take 10 years of French Canadian in school, <laughs> which is useful only if you're in Canada, apparently. Yeah. Well, I was, I've always been curious. The French Canadian, like how close to French is it? Can you guys understand each other? Can you? Yeah, I think it's understandable, but it's like 
I think people in France think that the Canadian French is kind of like slang. It's almost like in Hawaii, they have a language that's like English that's called pigeon. Yeah, okay. But it's really like odd. Well, the reason I ask is that when the Dutch went to South Africa and the settlers, they the Dutch language kind of evolved into Afrikaans, which is in South Africa. And there is, I think somebody said it was something like 70% the same, but the structure of sentences is differently. And a Dutch guy explained it to me once, and I thought it was amazing the way he described it. He said, it's like talking to Jar Jar Binks because all the sentences are backwards. <laughs> sentences like, are backwards. It does, does it, so, and I just thought, that's fantastic. What a fantastic... So I can understand it, but it's weird to have a conversation with them that way. But no, to answer your question, I, I love working across Africa. I think... I have a passion there. My wife is South African. Uh, my daughters uh, are both dual nationality. So, of course, I'm biased. Cape Town is my favorite place on the planet, bar none. Africa is a wonderful place to do business, but it's also, there's been a lot of pain. I mean, we don't need to go, I mean, I'm not the best person to talk about that, but there has been a lot of pain, especially in South Africa. There's a lot of political unrest and that there certainly has been for many years. Obviously, they it's only been 20 somewhat years since they came out of an apartheid state. You know, in many ways, they came out of the period that sort of America was in in the 60s during that revolution period and then civil rights. That really kind of didn't happen in South Africa until the early 90s. A lot of people don't quite realize that. So you imagine what the sort of 70s and 80s were like with, with, with racial tension in the USA and people really finding their feet. That's where South Africa is as a nation right now. She's trying to learn how everybody fits. And sometimes there's, there's tensions and sometimes it's it's the most beautiful place you've ever been and it, and it works perfectly. In terms of business, it's the next emerging market, not just South Africa, but Africa in general. And, and the thing that's been holding Africa back is not the talent, creativity or entrepreneurship, because if I'm honest, as a continent, they have that in abundance because they're a nation of grafters. Sorry, they're a continent of grafters. They're a continent of people who have had to struggle to get to have what they have and, 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 and they have to work hard for it. It's, it's not an easy place to make a living. It's a hard place, but it's also a beautiful place. And when you, when you get it right and when you, when you work with the right people and, and you can help people, it, I'm proud that what we do is now utilizing the fact that Africa now has better connectivity and we're helping those businesses broadcast their message to the rest of the world. Because I promise you, you know, just as there were some amazing companies that came out of the dot-com boom, you wait and see what happens with, with the, the rise of Africa in terms of world 2.0 and connectivity and stuff. Yeah, I believe it. It's going to be incredible. I think I remember, and it wasn't that long ago, I mean, the late 70s, early 80s, they were talking about the rise of, of Southeast Asia. And yeah, look how it turned out. Yeah, well, exactly. And now look, it's a, it's a global superpower. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly where we are right now. So, And the only thing that was holding Africa back was connectivity. And communities that were off the grid five years ago with no communication with the outside world now have fiber optic internet and 60 meg lines. I mean, it's a different world. That's crazy. So talking about kind of companies prepping for like world 2.0 yes from maybe more of a kind of local business small business kind of standpoint yep. do you think that there's things besides just sitting down and thinking about what's going to happen do you have any other tips for those businesses on how they can kind of start to get ready for this post-pandemic world yeah definitely so I, i'm a big believer in not reinventing the wheel don't get me wrong. I like to be innovative and come up with things, but, but I'm also a great believer in if somebody's already doing it well, why change? That's why we copy recipes, right? Because <laughs> we want it to taste nice. So what I would suggest is have a look, even globally initially, have a look at podcasters, YouTube channels, that kind of stuff. People that are producing content within the same space as you, because it doesn't matter what sector you're in, someone somewhere in the world, probably even in the US, given how many people podcast and create content, will be creating content. Look at the people who have a good structure, have a listen to the shows, make a list of, I'd say, five to 10 people that you know and would love to interview in your space. You know, Some of them can be people you know will come on because you know them well. Others might be a bit of a stretch. It might be the expert in a certain field that you'd love to get on. And then I, my, my honest answer is, Record, pre-record your series. So I would record sort of four, four or five episodes before you release them so you can start to release them on a regular basis, whether this is a vlog, whether this is a YouTube channel. Right. We run four ahead. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, similar with us. I think we're about four or five ahead most of the time. 
and it, and it just works because life gets in the way. And if you get busy one day, you don't want to let your audience down because they're used to seeing your content on a Monday. And this Monday, you just forgot because you're busy or you're not feeling very well. You know, so it's, it's good to be prepared. But as we said earlier in the podcast, you know, it opens so many doors. It really does open so many doors. So even just for kind of positioning yourself as an expert, content and answering questions is going to be key because everybody's searching for digital answers. So it sounds really oversimplified, but if somebody's searching for answers to do with your business and what you do locally, make sure your answer is the one they see. It's as simple as that. I would say almost every local business provider, like service business provider or retailer, if you type in what you do or sell and the name of your city, you will find less than three YouTube videos about that thing. A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And you could be making those all day long and they show up great on nice and high in search. And there's no reason why you can't make a video about why you have the best toy store in Hillsborough, Oregon. Well, let me teach you one of the greatest tricks about that as well. This is, this is the thing that, that I, I, this is how I've grown my networks. It's how I sold my sports podcast. It's, it's how I, we're now doing the TV series, reciprocal marketing. I love reciprocal marketing. It is literally the lifeblood of all of my businesses because I like to be able to give to different people's audiences. I like to be able to get, you know, bring my traffic with them. I'm sure there'll be lots of my crew that come and listen to this and they'll stick around and enjoy more of your content. I'd like to hope that several of your listeners have enjoyed this and they'll head over and, and come and watch more of what we've got to do. So that's what reciprocal marketing is all about. It's people that know and trust each other saying, Hey, this guy or girl knows what they're talking about. You should listen to them. But the thing with reciprocal marketing is just using that example you've just used right there for a local business. Some of the best videos like that I've ever seen, uh, imagine you're a, I don't know, you might be a small sandwich shop, right? That's all you do. You make lunchtime sandwiches and you're trying to drive more business towards you. You want to be there, right? So one of the things that you could do, I mean, there's loads of, there's, there's endless amounts of content for this, but I'll give you two examples of videos that you could do extremely easily using that example. You could go to work environments like office buildings with free sandwiches and samples and film people and ask them to tell you what it tastes like and what it's like. It's going to cause a stir. It's going to cause loads of attention. People want to be on camera. Everyone loves a free sandwich, but that content is going to go everywhere. And then you could make it a bit of a game. Every Friday, we're going to be visiting one office. So make sure you're downstairs in the lobby at 12 o'clock noon Friday and see if we're in your office. You know, see if lunch is on us that Friday. That would take off like nobody's business. You get all the businesses who are involved to share it because you say, look, we'll tell them we're in your office, this fantastic facility. They're getting to see it. So then they'll share it with their audience. Tourism boards are always fantastic at sharing this stuff. City councils are always fantastic at sharing this stuff because it publicizes the location. So of course they're going to. Another one is top five videos. So if you did a top five places to eat, top five places to drink, top five milkshakes in your town, it doesn't even have to be relevant to your business. But you know, Lucy's Sandwich Shop. Okay, so we're out and about on the town tonight, guys. And one of the things that I really love is a nice cold milkshake. So I'm going to go through my, you know, this is Lucy's Sandwich Shop's top five places to get a milkshake in our town. And it's so easy to do. You can do it with your phone. It's right It's right there. You're going for a milkshake anyway. I saw an interesting thing that actually I put it in one of my books. It was if you are like a real estate agent or someone in, in some similar industry mortgage, you know, anything like that. All you got to do is go and look for something like, and, and I don't know if the UK has the same kind of thing, but like Groupon and these places that make coupons for businesses, right? You just go down the list and you call each one and you ask for the owner and say, hey, I'd like to come interview you about this special you have on this thing. Love it. And I'll share it on on my page to all my followers. I got 600 followers on my page. Any business owner says no to that. For starters, they're an idiot. Yeah, well, 100%. Also, number two, you just go to the next one and you've got a list, right? Because it's in Groupon or it's in Living Social or wherever, right? Go to the Chamber of Commerce. Look down the list of businesses. I mean, that, that's one of the things that we use in, in an opening. So when, when uh, production crew and our researchers message potential guests about coming on our show, bearing in mind a lot of these are entrepreneurs and business owners, one of the first things we say is, would you be interested in driving some satellite TV and online global traffic towards your brand or project? If anyone ever answers no to that question, you're an idiot. Yeah. 
And we don't interview them. I'm offering you, like I'm saying here, have some potential customers. Oh, no, thanks. I don't want any. Yeah, I don't want any of that. Yeah. I don't like money. Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't like money, right? Well, apparently people sitting at home watching Netflix all day instead of working on their business do, but. Well, look, if, if, I'd like to think that the people listening to this podcast are not the people sat at home watching Netflix. Uh, they're, they're the people taking action. So if you started a business, pretty good chance that you're not someone who sits on their butt all the time, right? Exactly. I mean, you have to have some drive to want and do it. I mean, let's be honest. I call it the false economy of employment, which is people thinking that they're safe in a job when they're not. It's actually much safer to be a freelancer or a business owner because you can have multiple clients and spread the risk. I was an IT contractor. You know how many times I've been laid off? <laughs> it's got to be 10 times I've been laid off. Exactly. I, I mean, and some people that would be devastating. Can you imagine their career? It would be like, I've been laid off 10 times. I've, everything's over. I'm ruined. But that's just the way some industries are. And you just have to tough it up and get ready for it. You know, please, I implore everybody listening to this. If you take nothing away from this, it's please start having a think about what world 2.0 is going to look like for you and your business. And please, please, please start to take some action because I promise you it's not going to be. I used to like saying, I told you so. I really don't want to do that with any of you in six months time when you call me and say, I really wish I'd have listened to you at the time. And we just started that podcast because now my competitors got one and it's brilliant and I'm stuck. Yeah. Or you're you're sitting there wondering why there's no business coming in at all anymore. And it's because somebody else or multiple businesses have shifted with the economy and you haven't. And it just goes blank, you know. And just to go back to that example, you know, with the taxi companies and Uber and Lyft. Right. The taxi companies, they didn't like get up in arms and go protest over Uber and all this kind of stuff. They're just their phone just slowly stopped ringing. Right. hundred percent. And. And it, I say slowly, but it was actually in in a scale of things, right? I mean, you've had taxis for a hundred years, yeah. And then, you know, in a matter of three months, they lost half their business. But you know, it's you got a hundred phone calls on Monday, and then the next Monday you get ninety, and then one Monday after you get eighty. It seems gradual, but eventually it gets pretty pretty low, and you're in trouble. Well, it's it's also a prime example of how an industry changes, isn't it? Because taxi. Do you remember taxis used to be pretty grubby and like there wasn't really an alternative. And whereas now with Uber, because of like ratings and stuff, people take pride in their car. There, you know, there's usually refreshments in there. There's, there's like, oh, there's bottled water in the back, and do you want this? And it's a completely different experience to getting in a cab. And I mean, I remember jumping in black cabs in London. No disrespect to any London cabbies, and being like, all right, mate, and be like, where are you going? And it's like, oh, all right. this is going to be a pleasant ride. I'm going here, right. I'm putting it on double meter because I hate going that side of town. Boom. And it's like, this sucks. I'm like, how am I in trouble? I don't even know you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, taxi cabs here. I mean, general in Portland, they're reasonably clean for the most part. But I mean, come on. They're not nice. Like somebody no. takes, washes their car every single day. Pride. They're cleaning it out, taking pride in their vehicle and their service and being nice to you and, and all those things. And one last thing I'd say is if you're sat thinking that this isn't relevant to you because you're not the, the boss of the company or you're not the owner of the company, you are dead wrong. I like to use the phrase, you are the CEO of your own career. Because if you're not going to put yourself first and take yourself seriously, why should anybody else bother? 100%. And make sure that, I mean, you're looking for what's coming in, in the new economy, in the world 2.0, and that you're ready, you know, or at least making the changes that you need to make. So that you can be ready. Completely agree. And and you know what? I'll, I'll even offer this to your listeners. You, I, I'm sure you'll share my links after this anyway, so people can find me. But honestly, I mean, I love this stuff. I've done it for businesses globally. I've done it for myself from a number of businesses. And I really genuinely passionately enjoy this stuff. So if anybody just wants some advice or, you know, you're, you're a business that maybe makes work countertops for kitchen surfaces and you've got no idea what kind of content to create that people would be interested in, talk to me, pick up the phone, drop me a message, connect with me on LinkedIn, message me on Twitter, whatever you find most easy. And I'll be happy to pick up a call. It might not be instantly, but I'll definitely do it. I promise you. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. And we'll have the show notes, hookseo.com slash podcast to get all the show notes or they'll be in your podcast provider. Phil, I really appreciate all the advice. The great conversation. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
and I will uh, send you all the information so we can co-market our uh, our podcast together. Reciprocal marketing at its best. That's right. Our reciprocal marketing. Everyone, it's Phil Palucha. And do you want to give a shout out for your show and your podcast, too, before we drop off? Yeah, so the show is called Billionaires in Boxes. It's on Live TV. Uh, you can find us on Live TV YouTube channel, and you can find us if you just type in Billionaires in Boxes. I think we're the only people with that name for the show. The name we're often asked about the name. It's a joke on the fact that we're growing our global networks from home, so we do a lot of conversations via Skype, and that you have no idea what's going on beneath the camera line. The amount of conversations that ha- people have in a shirt, tie, and a pair of boxer shorts is unbelievable. <laughs> Occasionally, they stand up and forget. <laughs> so I'll tell you one quick thing about that. Yeah, we've been having we have a business networking group, and in one of the groups, someone got up because uh, they had forgotten that the camera was on because you get so used to just being on the camera, and they they got up and their bathroom is behind them in their door, and oh, they actually got no. up went to the bathroom and came back while the camera was on during the networking group. So you got to remember that you're on camera, kids. Well, I have a great example of how the world has changed just to end on because it's, it's, it's an example that I never thought I would see happen, okay? I'm almost positive it was a uh, BBC News broadcast. It was about 2019, I think, and they were interviewing a British guy who lived in South Korea. He's a Korean peninsula expert talking about the demilitarized zone and the conflict with North Korea and all the usual tensions that happen every time there's a military exercise on either side. And his children, his little child, like he's probably maybe two years old. Right, the little girls run in. Yeah, his little girl goes walking. And then his baby's in like a walker and then they come in. And it's <laughs> like, it, it's, it, it's absolutely great. If you haven't seen it, go onto YouTube and type in BBC News Korea Children and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the mom comes in and she's freaking out because the kids are in there trying to pull them out of the room. Now, contrast that to I was watching a news broadcast the other day and the the broadcaster was doing the show from home in her kitchen. She was still her usual professional self, wearing her very nice suit, you know, got the little clip on mic and it was all all intensive posts. She was very, very professional. Her little boy walks in, she picks him up, puts her on her knee, shushes him, carries on bouncing and telling the news. This is on a satellite channel going out to millions of people. And I, I loved it because that right there is the reset. The most important thing at that moment was not her telling the news. It was her comforting her child because that's why she tells the news. She tells the news so she can provide a nice life for her child. Absolutely. So I love that. And, and if that doesn't show us how much the world has changed, nothing will. That's right. The show is Billionaires in Boxers with Phil Palucha. Phil, love having you on the show, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next time as we speak with Jeff Mendelson of Effectivo.social. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.